Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, March 29th, we're studying Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. While Jesus stands trial before the Sanhedrin, Peter undergoes a trial of his own, one that Jesus has already foretold the outcome. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So we get started this morning, Pastor Goodman. Let's talk a little context. Where are we in Mark's Gospel? What do we need to know going into the text we've got today? All right. So we are, uh, of course, in uh, the, the Passion reading. Um, Je- uh, Jesus has been arrested. We have uh, we have just had the sham trial uh, where where the high priest uh, does a high priest job. Uh, he he sacrifices the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, even if he doesn't quite understand it to, to be. Uh, right now, as, as Peter is sort of uh, watching from afar uh, this thing going on, uh, we're going to pick up uh, right here in uh, Mark chapter 14, beginning of verse 66. Right. I mean, this is really, we could have very easily put this together with the previous text. They they are meant, I think, to go together. Mark introduced Peter being there at a distance from Jesus previously. Now he comes back to pick that up. In terms of, of other context that might be helpful, this text centers on Peter as the main character. What do we know about Peter from elsewhere in this gospel and other gospel accounts that is helpful to know about Peter as we consider what happens to him today? I, I mean, so just right off the top of, of uh, uh, my head, well, Peter was told by Jesus that this was going to happen. Uh, this is also the same Peter who said this was never going to happen. Uh, and in fact, uh, first, Jesus, you shouldn't go into Jerusalem to be crucified. And he was told, get behind me, Satan. Uh, and then he would say, I-, I will never abandon you, even if I must die. Uh, which makes this part that's coming uh, mildly uncomfortable. We have we have Peter who feels first and thinks later, uh, largely through uh, the entirety of, of the Synoptic Gospels. And so, what we're going to have here is is a, a gift to us who sort of in our in our synod try to deal with these things on a purely theological basis. Uh, and we should deal with the doctrines as if they are the true word of God because they are. But at the same time, to have Peter feeling his feelings uh, openly for all of us to sort of watch him struggle, to 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 be able to to be along with him, it's it's a present gift to us that we're not uh, above these things, that the, uh, the, these aren't recorded for us so that we would look down on the blessed apostle, but so that we can find ourselves alongside of him as one for whom Christ redeemed. Yeah, that, that, I agree that this is a this text is a gift to us for that reason that we see an example of a saint who struggled with his sin, just like we do still today, and we see more importantly the mercy of Jesus toward him even in this text. So, with that introduction, let's take a look. Mark fourteen, beginning at verse sixty six, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, 
you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. That is our text, Mark 14, verses 66 through 72. So, Pastor Goodman, Peter's there in the courtyard. Mark has told us that before. He was sitting and warming himself at the fire, Mark says. And now one of the servant girls see him and identifies him or thinks she identifies him. Take us into this first part of the scene. Okay, so uh, again, we have Peter sort of off at a distance. He he hasn't necessarily abandoned the Lord yet, although he he definitely hasn't done everything that that he promised. For example, uh, I, I will never abandon you. Uh, and as his faith is tested here, uh, not to necessarily leave Peter stranded, but to more and more show Peter what God will do. Uh, the servant girl uh, addresses him and says, "You were you were with him. Uh, this man was one of them." Uh, and he's sort of put back to that great confession that he makes, uh, where he recognizes the Christ, the son of the living God, and then immediately decides that Christ, the son of the living God should not do Christ stuff, should not go into Jerusalem and, uh, be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Jesus goes on to, to remind Peter, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a whole man, uh, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and forfeit his soul. Uh, Peter's actually put right in the middle of this to, to play it out, uh, not as a chance to, to prove to God that he has uh, earned his salvation by, uh, by, by suffering for Jesus, but that he can find himself as one for whom Jesus suffered because he can't save himself. Here, Peter begins to recognize that maybe saving your life, it, it sounds all right. Uh, Matthew notes that Peter's speech is probably what gives him away as a Galilean. Um, but, but what's interesting are, are sort of the three denials in Mark. Uh, and it's, it's something here that uh, progresses each time. So uh, let's start with the first one and just sort of note that uh, here he, he simply just says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I neither know nor understand what you mean. Uh, he, he's not out and out rejecting Christ just yet, but at the same time, uh, he he's just playing dumb to the whole situation. He's trying to stand back from it. It's, it's not uncommon to, to be challenged. Uh, is this really what you believe? Uh, Christian, you, you actually believe that, that a dead man rose again, Christian, you actually believe that, 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 that cracker and, uh, and wine up there is the true body and blood of Jesus. And, and when our faith is, is pushed on, sometimes it is easier just to sort of play dumb to it and, and step back and hope that you can, sort of live in both worlds without outwardly denying the Lord, but at the same time, without actually being known as one of those who, yes, we do believe that it is his body and blood. Yes, our, our whole faith is founded on the fact that he who is crucified is is risen again. Here, Peter just, he claims he doesn't understand it so far, but as he continues to try and 
save his life. You'll notice that he ends up a little bit farther from Jesus every single time. And even as he's trying to save his life, he ends up a little bit farther from comfort, from from hope uh, all the way along the way. Yeah, I mean, he, he literally is farther physically from Jesus mm-hmm. throughout this text. I mean, he, there that physical distance, I think, is a, a sign of what's happening to Peter in terms of that just continued denial and even each time how the the denial itself becomes stronger. So you've got this this servant girl here at the beginning and it's I think it's maybe worth noting just the contrast between Peter's bravado previously in the gospel. I mean just <laughs> earlier in this chapter, you know, I will I'll die with you Jesus even if everybody else falls away, I'll die with you. And and that, you know, that's Peter's character all along. You can go back to to Mark chapter eight, you are the Christ as you, as you brought up. And, and here, I mean, it's a, it's a servant girl that, that challenges him. Peter even, I mean, Mark didn't note that it was Peter that did this, but we know this from the other gospels that Peter's the one that cut off the servant's ear in the garden. And now a servant girl challenges him and suddenly he's, he's quaking with fear. It's, it's quite the contrast that we're seeing just in a matter of, of hours. Right. And that there's a huge difference between sort of the, the Peter who draws the sword and the Peter who cowers from the little girl. Uh, and that's that Christ has been bound. Uh, I, there, there's, 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 an, it's a lot easier to be bold in the faith when everything's going your way. It's a lot easier right. to be bold in, in faith when you see Christ according to his power and not according to his mercy. Uh, it, it's easy to, to be a Christian when all the world, uh, all your country wants to be Christian with you. It's harder to be a Christian when you have a hard time answering whether or not you live in a Christian nation. It's harder to be a Christian in the midst of suffering. It's harder to be a Christian when you don't see God necessarily working in power to give you everything that you want. It's easy for Peter to draw the sword because he thinks that Jesus is going to back him with an army of angels, like he says he could, when he doesn't. That's when Peter hits a low. And this is a really important concept for, for us, uh, again, where Peter is sort of uh, given for us to, to find ourselves in, uh, that it's easy to be a Christian in the highs. It's, it's easy to be a Christian in the mountaintop experiences when Jesus is transfigured, when the feeding of the 5,000 happen. It's harder uh, after you have to come back down the mountain, after everybody leaves because he says you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have life within you. It's harder to be a Christian in the midst of suffering and loss. But we get to find Peter here uh, as a Christian, not just uh, the bold Christian who, who promises never to leave Jesus uh, and, you know, draws a sword to, to fight for him. But we find Peter's identity the exact same here, even in the midst of his sin. Because, yes, Peter is sinning. And yes, Peter is denying Christ. But at the same time, what is Christ doing for Peter? That's actually how we define both of these when Peter was all too full of himself. Oh, go ahead. When Peter was all too full of himself, uh, Jesus was there for Peter, uh, preaching the law and and promising resurrection uh, in in the face of it. And when Peter was low, uh, here is Jesus bearing the cross for Peter. And again, it will ultimately be what Christ does for Peter that sustains him in hope in the midst of all of these things. You're allowed to have highs and you're allowed to have lows. And both of those, I think, are good gifts from God. The problem starts to come when we become enthusiasts, when we would measure uh, God's presence or God's love uh, or, or even just sort of God's existence by how we're feeling at any given moment. Because Christ, uh, 
Christ does not live in your heart. Uh, he, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. This is sort of the danger with all the Holy Week hymns that, that want to sort of limit Christ to your heart. Were you there? Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? No. <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm 2000 some odd years late to the party. But if the whole story only happens sort of by me reflecting back upon it, what does it mean when I don't tremble, but I'm distracted by the devil, the world, and my own sinful flesh? Well, our answer is not look to your heart, but look outside of yourself to the word of God, which would preach to you that Christ was crucified for you, a sinner who weren't there, but also didn't need to be because he brings those gifts forward to you in, in word and sacrament. And in the same way, uh, it's, it's not a sin to, to be low. Uh, you find Christ himself weeping at multiple times, and, and he does so without sin. Uh, but the, the, the danger, the sin, the, the attack of the evil one comes in when we would start to dismiss Christ's presence from this just because we don't like what's going on. Um, look to Peter's despondence here, uh, not as a matter, a measure of, of um, actually being farther from Jesus, but simply as, as sin, which separates us from God. And then God who seeks out the sinner, gathers him in and carries him through death and unto resurrection. Uh, in all of this, Peter attempts to get farther from Jesus, but watch where Jesus is the whole time, exactly where he needs to be going to the cross. Mm. Right. That's the, and that's what we miss by having this separate from the previous text, but these two, again, go side by side so that, I mean, maybe, you know, put it in a split screen type thing when, if you're picturing it as a movie and on one side, you've got Jesus on trial on the other side, you've got Peter on trial. Jesus and his trial is, is perfect. He, he stands there as the lamb of God come to, to be slain for the sake of sinners. He, he doesn't open his mouth. He fulfills all the scriptures. And why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that for Peter, who on the other side of the screen is blowing it, who's, who's performing terribly. He's failing his trial. But Jesus is there doing it for Peter. And, and putting those two side by side is such a great comfort for us as Christians that, that we know that in the midst of those trials that we undergo and, and those that we fail, we have a Lord who passed his trial perfectly, who who did precisely what we needed to to forgive us, to renew us, to restore us, to give us a new life because of what he did for us. That's that's wonderful. And uh, of course, we can find our, our own sins right there with Peter. Uh, I, I love the idea of sort of the, the two plays being uh, set out side by side, the two narratives. I've never quite actually connected it to to my failures as well. Uh, but but it's, it's absolutely brilliant that, that Christianity is not measured in you fulfilling the law like Jesus, but in Jesus fulfilling the law for you and forgiving you your sins. With that hymn you mentioned, were you there when they crucified my Lord? I always like to think of that as, well, yes, I was when I was baptized. And, and exactly. as you said, he brings it forward to me. So really, maybe we should think of that as more of a baptismal hymn than, than a Holy Week hymn. Or, or that's, that's the way that I like to think of those words, that that's when what Christ did for me 2000 years ago, he brought it to me or he brought me to it in the gift of baptism such that I didn't have to be there because he gives me the benefit of it, even though I wasn't. So, yeah, absolutely. And there you can start to separate yourself from the emotional response that it should have, but doesn't always perfectly have. Um, we're going to do this Holy Week. Like we're, we're going to have the Tenebrae Good Friday service. We're going to slowly dim the lights and preach uh, extra carefully about all of the gruesome details that our Lord suffered for you. And if we're being upfront, yes, it is to 
let you actually confront the emotion of it. Uh, some years it hits harder than others, but in mm. all years, it is objectively true and for you. Uh, I, I like going to this as, as a baptismal hymn, because then uh, on those days where the, the sinner that I am, I, I don't tremble. Uh, I am still baptized. We, we have to look to the, uh, the, the places where Christ is at work, because when we want to measure our emotional responses, you're going to see it in Peter. Uh, as they're not lining up the way that he wants, uh, his, his responses to, to his trial, to, to uh, the interrogation of this little girl, they, they get worse and they get worse as it goes on, uh, all because he's, he's looking inward for, uh, for, for strength, all because he's looking simply to, to Christ in, in, in power and not in mercy. Uh, and in each, in each time, we get further from the promises of Christ. And we, we look on simply how they make me feel. Hmm. Right. We don't, we don't dim the lights on Good Friday to make, to give you the feels for Good Friday or, or <laughs> sing the hymn. I mean, and again, it's not wrong to have those emotions by any no. means that that's quite natural to have those kinds of emotions when we understand the weight of what our Lord did, the the suffering that he bore for our sakes, that, that we did not deserve it. Emotions, feelings, those things are going to happen. But the, the Good Friday service and all of Holy Week is so that we would hear the word of God and, and be strengthened in that faith that he gives, which is there when we're, when we're feeling it and when we're not. It's, it's all about that word of God and the, all of those things that do happen on a Good Friday service or, or you know, the stripping of the altar on the Monday, Thursday service and, and all of those extra elements are meant to reinforce that message of, of the word that, that Jesus is the sinner sorry, Jesus is the savior who has suffered for sinners. And, and it, it all comes back to that word, feel it or not. That's what right. it's about. Your emotions are good gifts from God. Uh, they, they just, they're, they're fallen. And so that doesn't always point true north. You should have an emotional response to the gospel. You should have an emotional response to the law. They're just not perfect. And so we don't measure our response. We measure the thing that produces it. Uh, the law should produce in you contrition. The gospel should produce in you hope. However, as a sinner, you will not always be perfectly contrite. You will not always be perfectly uh, hopeful and, and never without doubt or, or fear or despair. And so instead, we, we constantly return to that which is perfect, namely God's word, his law, his gospel. Uh, all of it are, are what sustain us sinners through all of it. And so it's good to have those things. It's good to feel those things. We just never want to measure them. We always want to measure Christ. Hmm. I like to think of, you know, sometimes we'll talk about the use of reason in, in, as Christians. In a, you can use it in a ministerial way where you use it as a servant to what's there, or you can use it in a magisterial way, which you put it above the text. And we want to use the ministerial use of reason, not the magisterial use. I like to think of emotions in a similar way, that we always want to have those in a, a ministerial use, a servant role, not a magisterial, not the master over the text by any means, but let those be a servant to what the word is giving us. Precisely. I, and and it, it, it makes sense if you think about it. I mean, uh, the scripture should be should rule over your thoughts because God is smarter than you. If you're smarter than your God, you need a better <laughs> God. So so his word, he's smarter, he wins. And in the same way, um, <laughs> if you stub your foot, you stub your toe on the baptismal font as you pass it on your way to your pew in church, you're going to have an objectively worse day, even though you passed a, a, a symbol of hope. Uh, your emotions aren't always going to point true north. And so Again, we, we, we fall back on God's word. The emotions are good. The, the reason is good as long as it's in its right place. Things only get messed up when, when we start to take them from where they belong and use them in different ways.
So Peter, in that first denial, he's confronted by the servant girl. She says, I sounds you were with him, weren't you? And, and he says, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Just sort of ignorance is what he claims. The second denial, well, the attack grows, I would say. He goes out the gateway, that rooster crows. And I, I wonder, and it doesn't say, but you wonder if he heard it and if he did hear it, what he thought, if he thought anything at all. I mean, and I know that that's just speculation, but it, it's there. The rooster crowed. Come on, Peter. And we can talk more about the rooster when, when the rooster crows twice. The servant girl now there toward the entrance now, she, they're in the gateway. She begins to talk about Peter to others. Peter denies it. And then it's really that third one that that things really get heated. Take us into denials two and three. Great. And yeah, you, you note the progression here. First, uh, he, he just sort of plays dumb to the whole thing. And now we, we have a, a rooster crowing. We, we have more pressure. The girl follows him and uh, says again, uh, now not just to him, but to the people around him, this man is one of them. And so now she's not just a little girl. Now she, she's uh, the leader of a mob. And he's seen what mobs have tried to do to his lord and, well, what they're currently doing to his lord. And now now the threat gets real. So he outwardly denies it. He's no longer playing dumb, but he simply says, no, I was not with him. Uh, and then again, uh, now we, we don't have the little girl as the one confronting, but but you see sort of the the... the enemy uh, becoming strengthened in the face of this. Uh, Now the bystanders will say to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. So it's no longer a question, but it's 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 an outward statement. Uh, Peter here again... the, the adrenaline's got to be pumping. He's got to be terrified for his life. He, he has to, I mean, he's outside of the trial listening and watching the, the, the Christ who has performed miracle after miracle, who has survived multiple attempts to kill him already, to stone him, to throw him off cliffs, to, to do all of these things. Now he seems like he's not getting away. And all of a sudden, he doesn't know what to do anymore. So he begins to curse. And uh, I'm not sure even if he's necessarily cursing himself. The, the Greek, I... I, I I believe is an infinitive. Uh, and so he's, he might even be cursing Jesus at this point in time, but either way, it's, it's kind of the same thing. He, he's, he's, uh, he, he's invoking hell. He's invoking condemnation uh, to be apart from Jesus. He would rather be in a place of condemnation than with Christ upon the cross for salvation. This is, this is sort of where, where sin goes as it progresses. It never actually stays in the little box that we put it, but it builds and it builds and it gets messier and it gets messier. And we cannot by our own reason or strength uh, just simply draw a line in the sand and stop right here. Uh, now now he, he has made a, a confession that is every bit as bold as the Peter that we are used to hearing, uh, only now he is not saying you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Now he is not saying I would rather die than fall away from you. He, he's he's literally saying I would rather be in hell than anywhere near you. And this is why I don't know how much attention he paid to the rooster the first time. When we get caught up in sin, uh, it 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 takes over. It's it's not a a little pet like we want it to be. Uh, our, our sins that 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 come upon us, they 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 take over more and more of our life the, the longer we spend inside of them. And so Peter here, who is who's now actually given uh, point blank uh, the, the chance to live within uh, Jesus' own words, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever would lose his safe for my sake, lose his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. He finds out that it's not going to be him that's going to be doing the saving. Uh, there, there is one who would lose his life for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of the gospel. 
it's it's Jesus. Jesus is is going to be the one who who will first die for Peter, and, and only here, only here do we finally get the old Peter back, and and that's going to go forward uh, after the resurrection into Acts when we finally see him preaching with all of the boldness that we have come to love. But in in the midst of of sin, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of fear, in the midst of evil, this is not a let's calmly make good choices kind of Peter anymore. Uh, not that we ever really have him, but but instead we have we have a Peter who is every bit given over into a, a well a, a condemnation a, a, a deadly sin and mm. only here only here will the word of the lord pull him back and I, li- I like what you said about that first rooster crow and whether or not he heard it that just the this the whole situation and how how sin snowballs the the progression that james brings out in his first chapter of his epistle where he, he talks about Let's see, this is James 1, 14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I mean, it's like Peter is wrapped up in that progression right here. And and at, at a moment where, you know, the rooster crows and, and you're thinking, oh, Peter, you that should be sending off alarms in your head. You should recognize that you're you're doing exactly what Jesus said. Stop that progression is just too much for Peter to stop. And and he goes so far as to, I mean, like you said, he, he curses. He, he definitely, I, I think he, he curses himself, but I think you're right about the Greek there that, that there is a, a possibility that we should understand that Jesus, he's actually cursing Jesus, which is, I mean, it's just the, the progression of sin there. You see the truth of James words. You see how, how awful it is when we start down that road. Right, but at the same time, it, it becomes every bit as as powerful as Caiaphas's sermon. Uh, it is better that one man should die for the sake of the people, and he definitely didn't mean this in a a, a gospelly sort of way. Uh, but at the same time, ripped from even his mouth in the middle of this this thing was the perfect sermon. It's definitely better that that Christ should die that that we would live. Uh, and in the same way, uh, Peter's sort of desire to all of a sudden, no longer be the guy on the cross, but to have Jesus on the cross, Jesus suffer. Let me live, let Jesus suffer. Again, this is, it's actually the right, it's its the right thing. Jesus is the one who is cursed. He is hung on a tree. Jesus is the one who is cut off from the father, who is forsaken. And you are the one who who then is, is kept safe because of this. Uh, it, it's it's a, a wonderful sort of irony that, that our Lord would even here be pulling nothing but the truth out of the mouths of those involved in his passion. Uh, I imagine Peter will come back later to, to think of this curse. And I, I imagine, you know, even in, in, in the, the awful uh, contrition that comes with it, there has to be a joy and a hope that, that simply says, amen, he was. He was cursed. And no matter who is cursed, because he took my sins, he became my curse. That that should have been my curse. That should have been me up there. But but ours is the Lord who came in here, took upon himself. He rips that curse out of out of out of my soul, out of my mouth, and he hangs it on his own shoulders, even as he carries his cross out to Calvary. This is this is. Uh, I, I don't know that it, it it matters at this point in time who Peter is cursing, because Jesus insists that the curse be placed upon him, even as he bears the tree for Peter. Uh, even in the midst of a text like this, it's pointing us to Jesus, the one who is the Savior. And we're going to keep looking at that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, looking at Mark 14 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, March 29th. We're looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. We have Pastor Harrison Goodman with us. He serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we looked at Peter's three denials, this progression, which takes him physically farther from Jesus. His denials grow stronger, even cursing the third time. After that happens, the rooster crows a second time, and Peter remembers what Jesus said. He breaks down he weeps. That's how the text closes here. What what do we learn from this reaction of Peter? Oh man, there's so much here. Uh, the, the the immediately word that just keeps popping up in Mark. Mark is just that that just that that fast paced uh, gospel. And and I almost wonder if the curse is all the way out of Peter's mouth before the rooster starts crowing. And here mm-hmm. uh, Peter is is brought back uh, to reality all of the sudden. Uh, all of all of creation is is now long preaching the law at Peter. The rooster can't actually give him hope. Uh, but the rooster can remind him that things are not going the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, and, and this is true for us as well. Uh, all of creation can preach the law. Uh, God has ordered his creation in, in such a way that sin breaks stuff, that this is why he calls you not to sin, because it, it destroys his creation. Uh, the, the suffering that, that we have in this world, that, that tends to it, it tends to expand when God's law is, is not being kept and treasured and obeyed. Uh, we, we call this natural law, that there's simply a, a way that things are, are supposed to be. Uh, when we hurt, it, it's, it's a recognition that that we are not God, that, that we cannot save ourselves. Uh, ultimately, when, when we die, well, the wages of sin is death. Uh, all of creation here is, is, is preaching the law at Peter. Uh, but the thing that, that actually makes Peter weep, and I think it almost gets lost in the midst of this because we want Peter to weep in terms of purely contrition. And I don't think that's it. Uh, all of creation is, is preaching the law, but only the church can preach the gospel. Only the Lord can preach the gospel and will do so through the church. Uh, only, only by the words of Jesus is Peter finally driven to, to, to weep. He, he doesn't remember the rooster crowing. He hears and reflects upon the words of Christ. And all of a sudden we have, we have something different. Uh, no longer do we have a Peter who wants to be farther away from Jesus anymore. We actually have a Peter who for the first three denials, uh, wanted to divorce himself from feeling the, the despair that was going on, from, from feeling the hurt of, of watching his Lord suffer. He can't quite step away from watching this trial, but, but at the same time, every time he is confronted with it, he, he pushes himself farther and farther away from Christ. And, and here, after reflecting upon the word of God, is he finally not just driven to contrition, but also to hope, uh, I, I don't believe that it's simply uh, the, the promise that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that, that drives Peter to, to weep. But it has to be everything that goes on here. Uh, because after all, as, as, uh, as Jesus tells him this, he, he's giving him 
his strength and uh, what what is the Lord's Supper. He is promising a death and resurrection. It's everything that that is driven uh, from the great confession of Peter to this point that that this is not simply a, a kingdom of this world, but there there will be more. Uh, as as Peter hears the crow, he understands the depth of the condemnation a whole lot more than everybody else because he has. He, he has, has seen not only the depth of the law, but, but he has seen the gospel. And only once you understand the gospel can you stand that close to the law. It's why the Pharisees always want to dumb down the law. It's why the world wants to sort of minimize what the law would say. But we, in, in Christ, well, we've already died to sin and we are alive in Christ. We can stand close enough to it now where we can see just how bad it really is. And he sees that. But at the same time now, well, Peter actually, he, he wants to be closer this is this is a, a restoration. Uh, he, he before didn't want to weep, didn't want to suffer, but now he cares again. Now in his contrition, he no longer wishes to be separate from Jesus. Luke actually adds a really important detail here too that that Mark doesn't. That this is actually where Jesus looks at Peter, and I think this actually might be one of the key things that that might not be in Mark, but is is very important. That the Lord lifts His countenance upon sinners. That that it, it's not simply the the law of the rooster. But it is it is the mercy of the Lord that, that drives Peter back to hope. It, it changes how we preach this. Yeah, I, I think the the look that you get in Luke's gospel is is really important. And the fact that, I mean, you know, you get the words of Jesus repeated here in the text that Peter remembers what Jesus says. And and that is the the ultimate point. It's not just about the rooster crowing, but it is about the words that Jesus said to Peter that he does remember now. He said, Jesus earlier in Mark's gospel, in Mark 13, when he was talking about the, the end times, the destruction of Jerusalem, he, he told them, you know, in the midst of I'm telling you these things beforehand. And, and it seems like the same thing happened with Peter here, that, that Jesus gave him this word beforehand. All, all of these events previously in chapter 14 are strengthening Peter for this moment, even in the midst of this great denial of Peter, Jesus has given him what he needs so that it doesn't become a moment of despair and, and the end of the road for Peter, but rather this becomes a moment of, of restoration and, and those things being made full, of course, after Jesus rises from the dead, we will get that in, in Mark 16, you know, there's that wonderful, wonderful thing that, that the angel says to the women, Go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> Make sure you tell Peter. Yeah. yeah. Make sure you tell him so that so that this does not become a, a moment of despair that leads to destruction, but actually the Lord restores Peter and, and brings him back. Absolutely. And, and it has to be this this gospel preaching that that is also given for you. Uh it, it's so easy to sort of grab hold of texts like this where Peter is exposed to be a sinner and, and sort of just uh, walk all over the blessed apostles. And uh, I, I would insist that if I were there, I would do better than Peter. Uh, never would I deny the Lord three times before the rooster crows. Never. I, I would most certainly, uh, I would rather die than betray you. I can even I can even quote Peter alongside of it, irony of ironies. <laughs> and, and, and of course I'd be a sinner like him, but but more, not just I would be, I am. I have. I have not always stood with my Lord. Uh, and, and sometimes I have caved to the pressures of the world and to the pressures of my own sinful flesh. I have caved to the temptations of the devil. I have sinned. Uh, it, it's so easy to preach this uh, simply from the basis of the law, altogether ignoring the fact that when the Lord looks at Peter, 
he doesn't look at him in in, in disgust. He, he looks at him in love. This is the Lord who is dying for Peter. Uh, why would why would Jesus not look at him in in mercy now when it, it's coming to matter the most? Uh, but but it's it's tempting to sort of say, well, just don't don't deny Christ like Peter. Just stand up for Jesus. Go be a witness, and everything will will just be okay. I don't even know if that's possible because after all, didn't Jesus predict that this would happen to Peter? Like if, if Jesus predicts it, is, is it, it's, it's not a question of sort of could Peter possibly resist after Jesus said he wasn't going to. It's simply, you don't have to number yourself among the righteous by their works. You can number yourself as those uh, sinners that, that he has redeemed. Peter's, Peter's response to you will deny me is I a poor, miserable sinner, but in hope of the absolution that that has to be ours because i mean i mean we can we can find our sins in this text as well i mean you you see peter breaking the first commandment uh, the, and not having uh, or i mean excuse me and having other gods chiefly his desire to live uh apart from christ uh the second commandment in cursing uh the name of the lord uh his his eighth commandment and uh not well, in not defending his neighbor. Uh, this was Jesus who had done nothing wrong. And, and Peter is not defending his reputation, but but actually simply abandoning him to this, this sham trial. Uh, but it is Jesus who is there for you because the gospel actually has to carry this. Uh, yes, my sin puts me farther from Jesus. My, my sin never quite stayed where I put it. It grows like a weed. It festers. It, it's an infection that takes over. But even while all of these things were gone wrong, look how God's will is still done. Look how even from uh, the mouth of Caiaphas, Jesus drags out the perfect servant. Look how even from the mouth of, of Peter, in the midst of his sin, Jesus drags out a, a confession of what justification looks like, that Christ would be uh, cursed in the, in the place of Peter. God's will is done in the middle of all of this. He goes to the cross for sinners, and even while doing that, he regards you, he regards me, and he does so in mercy. Uh, it, it's not good that these sins have happened, but none of them have have. have somehow offset his plan. None of them have somehow undone the work that Christ himself is, is doing. Because remember this, this sort of side-by-side -side play that you set up. Uh, watch Peter fail at every single opportunity. And all the while, everything, everything works out because Christ did not. How do we, I mean, how do we take what Peter does in this text with his, I mean, it's very blatant denials. You know, I, I don't know what you're talking about all the way to I'm cursing Jesus and, and thinking about the way that, that this affects us today. I, I don't think that most of the people sitting in a pew on Sunday morning have blatantly said or blatantly cursed Jesus with the same words that, that Peter did. How, how is it that we still find ourselves in the shoes of Peter, in that side-by-side, -side, you know, Jesus on trial, us on trial, how is it that we still find ourselves there, even if we haven't done it exactly like Peter? Oh, it happens, I would say, all of the time. Uh, by, by his mercy, hopefully it doesn't always progress quite to this point, but you, you see it simply in, in almost an intentional ignorance of God's law. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, just an outright disregard for his word that if I don't know it's a sin, I can't feel bad about it. And so I'm going to sort of minimize the law in my heart the same way the Pharisees do. And so murder then is, is no longer about uh, thou shalt not hurt or harm your neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. It's just no stabby stabbing. And, and well, I didn't do that. And so I I'm going to sit in church. I have no idea what you're talking about. Me, a sinner? No. Um, and, and every once in a while, uh, that that will 
actually progress. And especially as, as we are confronted with God's actual law that says, love your neighbor. Uh, and by love your neighbor, I don't just mean don't stab him, but actually love him. And here we, we come to out and out denying it. Um, and here we, we, we go into our justifications. We, we try and excuse our actions. We try and come up with the reason that this was okay this time or because somebody else started it, it it's fine now. And if this is pushed, eventually, yes, you, you actually do see people cursing the Lord. It's, it's usually actually uh, never done quite so publicly, but you see it just because they stop coming around to hear his word and receive his gift. They would rather be apart from him than the sinners that he died for. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, not just depressing, but, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a thing that, that brings us to despair until you realize that these were the ones for whom Christ has died. And, and these are the ones that he will, uh, go out, uh, setting aside the 99 to, to pursue, uh, in so many cases, when we are left to our sins, it, it gets worse. This is why we hear the law early on. Uh, and this is why we, we are to actually study God's law, because if I'm just left to my own uh, devices, I will most certainly come up with a great reason for everything that I've done, a great justification for all of my sins. And hearing God's law, I can lay these aside and uh, rejoice to, to find myself underneath the cross as opposed to one who doesn't need it. Uh, it it's, it's when we run from God's law, as if we can somehow escape its, its uh, condemnations, that we end up farther and farther away from Christ. And, and all of us have, have recognized this, even in just sometimes that, that really uncomfortable feeling you have when you had a, one of those weeks and you have to walk into church and you know all too well what I, a poor, miserable sinner, is going to mean. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to say those words. And here we have the gift of the liturgy where it, it, it forces the law and gospel out into the open. It actually rips the word from our lips, I, a poor, miserable sinner, when I would much rather sort of hold on to those sins. God makes me give them to him that he would, uh, he would uh, give me his absolution. Uh, th this, is, this is the daily life of the Christian, and, and maybe it, it's sort of uh, less uh, climatic. Uh, there, there's no you know, trial by fire, but, but this, is, this is old Adam daily being drowned and dying, and this is new man daily emerging and arising to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. This, this is our everyday life that we are, are confronted with God's law, and only once old Adam dies will we stop running from it. Only when Peter has nothing left is he sort of broken down in, in contrition and, and also lifted up in hope. Hmm. I like what you said about the words, a poor, miserable sinner, and and how there are those weeks where we say those in church and we know precisely what that means. And it's, it may not always be that very climactic moment like Peter has here, or or you can think of other very famous sinners in the in the scriptures who have these just really big sins. We, we were reflecting on the fifth chief part of the catechism in our Lenten series here at Grace this year, and, and in the the question concerning confession, you know, which sins are these that you know and feel in your hearts? One of the things that I think is just wonderful about Luther's answer there is he he invites you to examine yourself in very small ways. You just consider your life, where you are, what your place is according to the Ten Commandments. You know, your very basic things. Are you a father, mother, husband, wife? I mean, all the things. And then simple sins, laziness and and anger and quarreling. I'm not listing them in order right now, but but they're just so small, it seems. And yet, those are the ones that we know and feel in our hearts, that the the rooster crowing, whatever it is in creation, preaches that law to us. And and we find ourselves right there with Peter, if and if it wasn't, quote, big. 
and, and yet the Lord, as you said, he, he draws us back to his word to restore us, to, to bring us back to himself. It's, it's just wonderful. Right. And, and it's that last bit that, that makes everything. Uh, how much time do we have left? Nine minutes. Nine minutes. Wonderful. I'd like to talk about sort of the other big uh, uh, sinner in, in this story then, because uh, it, it <laughs> works right, <laughs> right alongside. Uh, Peter and Judas go hand in hand down this path, even though we never really want to compare the two together. Uh, and you, you, you noted that it was Peter who was ultimately lifted up in, in hope by the gospel. Uh, this, is, this is the prime difference. Uh, and here we, we have a, a chance to sort of reconsider Judas, who got this ball rolling, who uh, denied the Lord by betraying him with a kiss, which I believe is sort of the same sin, right? We have Peter and Judas. Uh, Judas denies his Lord. He, he, he puts himself safe. He, he would save his life uh, and not lose it for the sake of the gospel, just like Peter. Uh, Judas only did it once. Peter did it three times. Uh, Judas, Judas, I, I guess he was at least polite about it. He didn't curse. Uh, I, I'm, I'm being a little coy here, but what, what if Judas... What if Judas wasn't sort of the the super villain who twists a, a mustache and spins around in a chair? Uh, what if he was the money changer that was desperately trying to keep uh, the the ministry going, even though Jesus kept giving away all the money to like have perfume poured on his feet, and and he just wanted to make sure that we could keep the lights on? Uh, what if Judas saw Jesus escape from people trying to arrest him and kill him over and over again, and figured, you know what, it's going to keep happening? What if this same Judas? sinfully absolutely but but still came up with an idea what if we could actually have the pharisees fund our church by uh i, I sure i'll point that i'll point them out to jesus he's escaped from them over and over again and then we'll be silver rich uh and we can keep this thing going but all of a sudden it doesn't work out what if judas meant uh, he had the best of intentions all the way through but was still a sinner just like Peter, actually, most of the time, who always has the best of intentions, but good intentions are, are not the same thing as righteousness. Everybody has good intentions. We also have original sin. We, we, what we need is, is righteousness from, from Christ. So we have Peter and Judas. Uh, Judas denies his Lord to, to save his life. Uh, Peter denies his Lord three times. Uh, and then we, we can deal with, you know, how they, they deal, how they, they follow up with this. Now, both are, are, are driven uh, ultimately to, to contrition, to, to sorrow over their sins. And if you want to measure it, I would argue that, that Judas was probably sorrier than Peter. Uh, Peter broke down and wept. Uh, Judas actually tried to give the money back. He actually tried to, to fix his actions by his works. And um, that was sort of the problem. The, the Pharisees told him, to, to, what is this to us? Deal with it yourself. He, he's constantly left with just himself. To, to save himself. And, and if you really want to measure the contrition, it's, it's heartbreaking. But, but Judas was so sorry that, that he ended his own life. Uh, in terms of how we always want to measure sort of the, the side by side of what do good Christians look like, uh, Judas didn't sin as bad as Peter. Judas was definitely sorrier than Peter. Judas even tried to make up for it, unlike Peter. But we don't have a lot of St. Judas Lutheran churches. Um, and that's because this word repentance isn't just a measure of sorrow. It's not just a measure of contrition. Repentance has two parts, both contrition and hope. The, the great loss uh, of uh, all of this in, in, in Judas is that over and over again, he was directed back to the law. Over and over again, he, he was directed back to his own works. And your works, the law, cannot produce hope that has not been given to the law to do. 
The law can produce contrition in you, but it cannot produce hope. The gospel, the gospel produces hope. Peter is, is at, 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 in the midst of his contrition, he, he, is, he is pulled back in by a word of hope, by a promise of a Lord to, to redeem him, by the resurrection of Jesus, by uh, the, the promise uh, given by a uh, command of, of angels. Make sure you tell Peter about this. He really needs to hear it right now. Uh, here, we have a, a gospel that, that completes repentance. Because if, if repentance is just, I'm sorry, but, well, I'm sorry isn't going to actually bring forgiveness. Uh, why would you say I'm sorry? If the wages of sin is death, who owns that? Who, who doesn't try and blame somebody else? Who doesn't say, well, the woman who you gave to be with me, she she gave me the fruit. I, I'm Of course I'm going to deny it if the wages of sin is death. But only in hope can you actually stand before the Lord and say, that thing that should kill me, I did it. I'm sorry. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The, the difference between Peter and, and Judas is the gospel. It's not works. It, it's it's the word of the Lord, the promise of the Lord that, that ultimately met Peter's ears and produced in him a, a, a joy that, that you'll start to see as we see him in the resurrection texts, if, as we see him in the book of Acts preaching sermons, as we, we see him being carried forward even uh, unto death himself, where he would bear the cross upside down because he didn't, he didn't find it right that he should suffer and die uh, in the same manner of his Lord. But at the same time, uh, he, he was no longer afraid to lose his life for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel, for it has already been saved. I think the reason that putting Peter and Judas side by side is so important is because of what, what you said, the, the difference. It's not a matter of their contrition or their sorrow or their works. It, the, the point of, of this is not to say, how can I be more like Peter and less like Judas or something in, in the response? It, when you put them side by side and, and what is the difference of their sin, it's, it's really nothing. It, in the end, is they did the same thing, and and as you said, you know, you could make the case that Peter's was worse. The difference is not in them or their works. The difference is the gospel, and that's that's the key. And it and it makes the salvation that Peter receives here completely a salvation by grace. It's not that he did the right thing after he sinned. It it was Jesus that saved him. It was completely gospel, completely grace. Judas rejected that. Peter is saved by this grace. That's, that's it. And it's not a very, I mean, it's not a satisfying answer, at least to my reason, but it's the answer that scripture gives. And thanks be to God that it is, because that's the only way I'm going to be saved too, is by that same grace. We got about two minutes here to wrap things up, Pastor Goodman. Right. I'm glad that that's not satisfying um, because honestly, this is what old Adam does is he constantly claws it away to name himself righteous. He's constantly uh, looking for a way to sort of make things right again. Uh, the Lord will shut every last one of those down. In fact, that has to be shut down uh, because where there is even the slightest bit of a window, uh, this is the thing that that ultimately drives Judas to the end of the rope. It, it, it's it's the high priests or not the high, the priests, excuse me, in the, the temple who say, go and go and fix this yourself. And so ultimately we see Judas wanting to, again, in a perverse way, be the one who suffers to earn righteousness. He, he's trying all the way along to, to sort of find a way to, to make his works righteous before the Lord. Uh, even in, in a perverse way, being hung. Uh, you are not Jesus. You are not God. You don't have to be. God takes your sins, carries them to the cross, bleeds and dies for you. And here he gives you righteousness. He, he doesn't let you choose between, would you like to try and make up for your sins or would you like the free gift of righteousness? He simply says, you can't save yourself. 
don't ever, don't ever let it be even an option to save yourself. Every time old Adam will, will claw at that, he has to be drowned and die. He has to be murdered. There can be no chance to save yourself. And only there is the gospel all sufficient. Uh, there, there you can actually say along with Christ, it is finished and not, it will be finished once I finish paying my penance. We need it to be done. Uh, it, it's a gift to reflect upon this text because in all of these things, uh, you see God's will being done to save sinners. You, you see Jesus never ever standing back from either man, uh, but, but all the way along, uh, striving, uh, fulfilling to their, their salvation. The, the only difference at the end of it is, is simply that uh, Peter, Peter's never pointed back to himself. Judas is. We, we point to the cross. We point to the empty tomb. We point to, to Jesus. And, and here, yes, uh, sometimes we will be driven to contrition, to, to, to weeping over our sins, but we will always, always be resurrected with Christ. We will always be lifted up in comfort and in hope. Pastor Harrison Goodman is pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today with Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks so much. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark 14 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Talk to you again tomorrow.